Hi, everyone. This is Christina Herrick, produce editor for The Packer, with another Tip of the Iceberg podcast. This time, we'll learn about why having difficult conversations leads to engaged and productive workplaces. During her State of the Industry address, Kathy Burns, president and CEO of the International Fresh Produce Association, noted there is a global human energy crisis and attributed this human energy crisis to a lack of employee engagement. Louisa Clark from Confidently There joins our podcast to share what to look for to know if your organization needs to have more difficult conversations and how managers can create a culture of openness to encourage employee engagement. Clark coaches individuals and teams on the importance of and skills needed to have difficult conversations. On the podcast, she will also share tips for creating workplaces that have the right balance of challenge and kindness and will also take us back to our days in school to understand what that balance looks like in practice and the overall impact it can have on organizational culture and individual performance. This is Leanne Rizaminti with Equitable Food Initiative, bringing you another people-first-focused episode of Tip of the Iceberg. Kathy Burns, CEO for the International Fresh Produce Association, recently gave her State of the Industry report where she noted that we are experiencing a global human energy crisis. She cited trends such as the great resignation, quiet quitting, and minimum Mondays, and attributed them to an overall lack of employee engagement. So today we're talking with Louisa Clark, founder of Confidently There. It's a consultancy that helps teams and individuals navigate conflict and face difficult conversations in the workplace. Louisa, I'm so happy to have you as our guest today to bring your expertise to the fresh produce industry here in the Americas. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for asking me to join you. I'm really pleased to be here. Great. And I I know this will be an easy conversation for us to have and for folks to listen to today, but that can't always be a reality in the workplace, right? Because workplaces, they're made up of human beings and conflict is a normal human act interaction it can even have positive benefits can can you talk a little bit about that yeah absolutely exactly as you said we are human beings and human beings are messy and human beings are complex and we have different ideas and we come from different uh, environments and um, we've been raised with different values and different priorities are important to us so of course we are do knock up against other people as we move through the world and of course this is going to happen in the workplace just as much as anywhere else Um, and sometimes more so than anywhere else because there are added pressures in the workplace that we have. We have targets to hit, we have deadlines to make Um, and I suppose the other thing that I see a lot uh, and power dynamics playing out as a part of a, a hierarchy, that very often is one of the things as well that stops people from feeling able to kind of really talk about the stuff that matters and talk about the stuff that feels difficult or feels uncomfortable. So yeah, we we quite often get this situation where workforces actually are very conflict averse, but it's a totally healthy part of us being human and being around each other. Yeah, those were really excellent points. I'd never thought of that idea of added pressure and added uh, inter- interdependence, right, at the at workplace um, to, to yeah. kind of stir up that that conflict. So what happens to organizational culture and employee engagement when we avoid these difficult conversations or or maybe we handle them poorly? 
I think I can probably speak to two very opposite ends of, of a spectrum here. Um, and uh, this spectrum is for organizations and workforces who aren't talking about the stuff that matters when it needs talking about. So they're not having the difficult conversations. And what tends to happen is at one end, you either get an organization who actually from the outside, they all look like they're getting along really well. <laughs> Everyone seems very happy. They're a really nice, warm environment. Um but actually, it's simply because by luck or by chance, people have kind of clicked into a gear where they're working fine and people are really resistant to change within that. So whilst it doesn't always uh, play out in a way that can look much unhealthier, which I'll talk about in a moment, it can on first glance seem like a very happy place. But the problem is nobody is raising challenge. So it's only a lovely place to work because nobody is saying the difficult thing that does need saying. So no, nobody's bringing any potential for challenge or conflict. Of course, things start to uh, become a problem within that as soon as any change whatsoever needs to happen. That, uh, that is fine as long as the team stay exactly the same and nobody wants to innovate, nobody wants to do anything different. There aren't big staff changes. Yeah, you know, it can organizations can drift along in that space for a little while, but inevitably they're always going to come unstuck. At the other end of the spectrum, the other thing I see for organizations who aren't having enough of the difficult conversations is an incredibly um top-down power over uh, kind of command and control feel starts to occur within an organization, or that is occurring within an organization, and that's why people don't feel they can speak up. So uh, we see it in a real lack of any kind of speak up culture. We see it in people being terrified of making mistakes and therefore mistakes not being reported or people seeing errors as, you know, being failure. And we see it in uh, what I call build up of the unsaid. Uh, we see it, therefore, in people feeling resentful and exhausted and frustrated with each other. Uh, and gossip culture often will then kind of develop as a result of that because people don't feel equipped to know how to be direct with those conversations. No matter where along that spectrum, uh, a department, a team, an organisation is, if they're not having the difficult conversations, it can actually look really quite different. But what you absolutely are going to get is um, it's going to be stagnant. Things, you know, those channels of communication get really kind of weighty and bogged down and stagnant. Quite often you end up seeing... Um, Quite a lot of staff churn can start to happen because if people have an issue or have a challenge, they don't know where to put it or they are knocking up against other people within their team and they don't. it's not the culture to be able to raise something like that, then they get frustrated after a while. Most difficult, actually, is that those who get the most frustrated very often are the ones who are the most innovative, the most creative, the most driven to kind of shake things up and do things differently. Um, and lean in and have the difficult conversations. If if that doesn't feel possible um, around them, then very often um, they go, yeah. Yeah, you're, you always lose your all-star performers first, for sure, with, a, with an unhealthy culture. And I, I think you've touched on this in this previous, in your previous answer, but you, you talk about creating a culture that has both challenge and kindness in it. And if you could talk a little bit more about that, what, it, what does that look like? And more importantly, what are some of the things that go into creating that? Yeah, sure. So exactly that. I talk a lot about the need to balance those things and that we need high levels of those things. There was a sort of unspoken belief for a long time that great leadership was huge amounts of challenge um, and, and not as much kindness, right? 
Um, for a long time, leadership looked like uh, disciplinarians coming in and setting the rules and setting the boundaries really clearly and being incredibly prescri prescriptive about expectations and having those bars set high. And if, you know, standards were slipping ever, what did you do? Well, you just set them even higher and you made it super clear that there was room for error. Essentially, there was no room for kind of moving outside of that. This was a narrative that, and this played out culturally as much as it did within workplaces. You know, this was the parenting for a very long time. I'm going back quite a long way, but this was the style of parenting for a long time, style of, of teaching for a long time, anywhere that there was a power dynamic uh, where the challenge level massively outweighed any kind of thought of the kindness or warmth or humanity or availability that we need to feel on the receiving end of in order to be able to sustain the level of challenge that is being set to us. And then I think we've also for a long time with the idea then that the only alternative to leading in that way or working in an organization that feeds into that kind of culture is to do the opposite, where people you know, are lovely and kind and warm and sweet and cared as on a human level, but they don't really um, necessarily see or set the level of expectation or challenge that could be set to us or maybe should be being set to us in order really for us to be thriving within our roles. I talk, there's a model that I'm um, referring to uh, that kind of brings all of this to life, which is something called the social relationship window or the social discipline window. Uh, the kind of easiest way to understand it is to think yourself back to school and think about those teachers that you were terrified of, who you always got your homework in on time for and you really delivered for them, but you felt terrified to ask a question in that class because you feared that it was a stupid question and that you probably should know the answer. So you sat there feeling like you didn't really have a voice. Um, but my God, you worked. You got stuff delivered in time. Um, and then there were those teachers who, of course, had more of the kindness and less of the challenge. So they were lovely um, and you felt really safe and nurtured and warm. But you might also feel a little bit frustrated after a while that they didn't know how to push you particularly. They didn't really hold you to account over doing stuff. Really what we want is a balance of this challenge and this kindness. And when we have equally high levels of challenge and support or nurture or warmth or simply even availability, when those those two things are working in tandem, we, we feel as though it's equitable. We feel as though we are meeting in a very adult to adult, responsible, mutually respectful way. And this working with allows us to really cultivate a sense that within a a very healthy functioning hierarchy that an organization, of course, has to have, but that we are actually carving out um, horizontal channels of communication despite the vertical structure. This is what I care deeply about, and this is a lot of the work that I do with organizations because all of the data shows us, um, and probably I hope as I'm kind of describing this, people can hear and that's what works best for us as human beings. Uh, all of the data shows us people are happier, they are more cooperative, they're more collaborative, they're more innovative, they're more creative, they're more productive when this kind of communication culture is existing around us. What's at the root of that is a balancing of high levels challenge being set to us paired with a high level of warmth, availability, kindness. I love this because when you think of getting organizational culture right, it seems so hard. And yet when you break it down um, kind of on this continuum, <laughs> it makes it seem um, so achievable. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for, for that insight. 
Um, you, you talked about kindness. And one thing that I, I love in your teachings is the difference between nice and being kind. And you hinted at this when you talked about the organizations where everything appears to be okay and people are being really nice. Um, but but you know that being nice is not the way, you know, to keep a healthy organizational culture. So can you talk a little bit about what those differences are between being what being nice looks like versus being kind? Yeah, for sure. So they, these two words are so different. So, so different. Um, when we're being nice, when we're prioritizing being nice, and that is what we're hanging on to, actually very often, if we're really honest with ourselves, what we're worried most is we're worried about being liked. We are worried we don't want to rock the boat when we're prioritizing niceness. Nice is kind of soft and squashy, um, but it also has the boundaries within it whatsoever. Whereas we can be kind and boundaried. We can be kind and actually be concerned about doing what's right. And this was game changing for me when I kind of had this petty drop and made this realization. And and again, actually, restorative practice is a, a fantastic world um, for uh, highlighting this difference and the frameworks that it uses. Kindness is absolutely inherent within them um, because of this idea of working with. I believe fundamentally that we as human beings are hired for connection. We are hardwired for that, and that drives us more than anything else that that comes along. And a really core part of connection is being seen and heard. We need to have our experience seen and heard. It doesn't mean we need to be agreed with. And I think this is where so often people who do find having difficult conversations difficult, they avoid them or they delay on them or they tend to soften off and back out of them. They haven't yet made that distinction or they haven't quite clicked at the moment. It feels like there is no way to have this difficult conversation and the relationship come out in, in a better place. But that's not true. And kindness really is the ingredient that we need to have there. It is completely possible. And in fact, I would argue vital to have a productive, effective, healthy, human, difficult conversation. It is vital that kindness is a is a core part of it. Um so we get to pair these things. We can say the difficult thing and going back to our, how do we pair challenge and kindness? Well, the more difficult the thing is that we need to state, the more kindness that is required. But kindness does make it possible to say niceness. And it, if we're focused on being nice, uh, it becomes impossible to say. We're too worried about being liked. Um, and that that then is very sticky ground to be on. Yeah, I absolutely love this model, and I'm really going to be thinking more about it. This idea that the more challenging the conversation is that you need to have, the more kindness is required. Mm. Um, yeah, thanks for that. What What are some of the signs that a difficult conversation is needed, or maybe it's been ignored for too long? What What do you start to see bubble up? So. My The first go-to that I think is a really helpful indicator that a difficult conversation maybe needs to happen is resentment. <laughs> um, if we are, and this is a great one just personally for us as individuals, there's um, a, a great uh, psychologist whose work I really love. She actually does loads in the parenting space. Um, her name is Dr. Becky Kennedy. She's become a big name now. Um and so, yeah, those who are listening may well have heard of her, especially if they are parents. Yeah, uh, I, I have. I absolutely have. <laughs> okay. I, I, yeah, I love her work. Yeah. yeah, me too. Me too. And what's really interesting is, although I don't do any work in the parenting space at all, 
so much of what I look at really aligns because we're talking about power dynamics. We're talking about how do we empower and how do we offer respect and empathy and kindness and boundaries really clearly to people when they are in the on the kind of receiving end of something where perhaps they aren't, you know, it is a boss to somebody more junior. Um, and this is where that kind of crossover comes. That's by the by. Dr. Becky has an amazing quote, which is, resentment is a sign that you didn't set a boundary early enough. And we can think about um, that challenge axis, if you like, that we keep talking about how, how high is the challenge that we're setting and therefore how high must the kindness level be. I could exchange that word for boundary as well. Um, you know, how uh, firmly and clearly am I stating what is okay here and what isn't okay? What is expected of somebody else's behavior and what isn't? Um, and yeah, it can be such a helpful sign to us to go, wow, I'm feeling really resentful about this situation. Ah, it might be because I need to, in fact, it definitely is because I need to articulate something. And it's about that process of being able to go, and therefore it's my responsibility to put voice to that. And I'm going to do it in a way that is kind, respectful, uh, and that is curious, that is open to hearing how it lands with the other side. So yeah, resentment is is a really fantastic tool to start to get curious about and to zone in on. And if resentment is brewing amongst a team, hints of gossip starts to happen or we're seeing absenteeism happen. Like resentment, quite point of why those things then are starting to develop. We need to get in there, possibly can. And yet resentment is a great kind of first little alert, alarm that a difficult conversation could do with happening. Sure. Yeah, that makes a, a lot of sense. I'm, I love how actionable this conversation has been. Um, another thing I've heard you say is, you know, none of us are necessarily good at this. We don't always see it modeled in a very healthy way. So what are some of the things that we can do to, to get better at this and, and to practice having difficult conversations? Yeah, in terms of starting to develop it as a set, I'd say there's a few things. The first really is about self-awareness and self-management. It's about really getting curious about what our own current patterns are, our patterns of thinking, our patterns of behavior, our patterns of communication when the temperature is rising a little bit in the room. What happens to us? What do we default to? What do we? That's not a path that is set out for us forever if we don't want it to be. We do use it. Is it challenging to change that? Yes, absolutely. But it's also totally possible. But it's not possible to change something until we've become aware. So develop awareness initially is the first step. Start to notice what is the pattern that goes on and get a bit curious about it. Um, I would say that's the first thing. The other thing is around emotional regulation and emotional responsibility. We have to get super clear on this difference between, you know, it's a very common phrase that we still hear a lot. I feel angry because you did X. We need to start flipping that around and recognizing what our own responsibility is within it. And it's such a healthier phrase to open a conversation with, I feel angry because I need X, Y, or Z, than it is to say, I feel, I feel angry because you did X, Y, or Z. So shifting stuff around and looking so much at what is it that I need here? What what matters to me here? This strength of feeling that has come up about the situation, what is it telling me? There is something that is important to me. But if I want to put that into the room, I need to own it. I'm going to own it. Uh, and I'm going to do that in a way that is not blaming anybody else, shaming anybody else. Uh, it's not 
inflammatory, it's not confrontational, but it is unapologetic in sharing what I need to say. Now, does that feel terrifying to do? Does it make us feel incredibly vulnerable? Absolutely. So of course, we might um, need to take some time to build up to that. And of course, we might need to make sure that we're doing it in a place and with people or a person that feels safe. Difficult conversations on the whole are difficult because we're worried about the impact that they're going to have on the other person. Um, and to get better at them, therefore, it's not about waiting for that feeling to go away. It's actually about us getting better at tolerating whatever it is that comes up for us within our own system when we do have something difficult to raise. We can sit with it. We can learn to embrace it and sit with it. We've got to kind of welcome that feeling, validate it. So to even pause before you know you've got something difficult to raise or if you're feeling that resentment bubbling up and think, I've got a choice here. I could I could either not say anything and go home and keep moaning about this to my partner or my friends or whoever and keep coming back into work and the situation keep playing itself out and I could keep being resentful or I could choose to say something. How does that make me feel, the thought of saying something? And it'll probably feel really uncomfortable. Well, validate that. Of course it does. I'm not used to bringing my voice to the table in this way. I'm not used to naming this. This feels new. My nervous system's probably going a bit wild. We need to be able to acknowledge and validate and accept and permit what all of those feelings are to begin with. And from there then, yeah, my main piece of advice is speak from a eye perspective, first person language and own it. And the more you speak about, um, I've noticed X, I feel Y and I need Z rather than you, 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 I feel this because you, because you, because you, um, yeah, the more productive that conversation is, is going to be. Sure. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Um, what are some things that a manager might do to kind of remain open and encouraging so that if an employee is having that feeling and they are going home and moaning and groaning to their, to their partner, that they, they feel like they're in a safe space to bring it up. So I would say it's it's mainly about making genuine making themselves genuinely available to those conversations being able to happen to their team members being able to bring things to them like that. For some, that might simply be about saying, "Hey, I'm going to put in a time on a Friday afternoon. If ever you've got a challenge, there's a window, and please do bring it to me, and I will always listen." Um, for others, if the quality of relationship isn't yet there, you could say that, and still nobody's going to turn up, right? And it's a it's connection. So. It's it's about those managers creating those opportunities to sit down with their team members and ask them open questions and to genuinely listen with complete curiosity. But there is there's no judgment in curiosity. There is open mindedness. There's open heartedness, willingness to listen. We can be really boundaried around the time and space that we have available to be able to do that. But if we're saying, look, yes, I've got 15 minutes now, then give that 15 minutes where. It's, you know, you really clock it in with yourself. I'm not listening here just to respond. I'm properly listening to understand and to, to take something away. People need to feel seen and heard to then be able, safe to start to bring things to you. People need to feel safe they're going to be worked with. And the quality of listening, the availability that you offer to them is what is going to cultivate that. Yeah. And showing up in that way, um, you have to have that. Where is that relationship at that moment? Um, I love that that you underscored that. Uh, I have so enjoyed this conversation. Do you, do you have any final thoughts to leave us with 
as as we go about creating engaged workers and and healthy work cultures, um, specifically, you know, in the fresh produce industry. I would just love to advocate for the the complete brilliance and proper life-changing potential of learning how to have difficult conversations. So, you know, I would just love to advocate for those, if you know, those who are listening are thinking, yeah, that is, it's, there is that thing that, that bugs me at the moment. There is that thing that is making me feel stuck. There is that thing that's making me feel frustrated at work. And at the moment, work is not the place I'm putting it. I am taking it away. I am moaning about it at home or to friends or whatever. My one colleague, and we're not taking it anywhere else. Validate all of those moments Give them weight, recognize them for what they are. They matter. They can't become matter and you can't. But also, so often with difficult conversations, no pe- other people cannot, sh- things cannot shift and change unless we actually start bringing them to the fore. But yeah, I would just really urge anyone who's listening, if you've got that feeling of resentment, away, have a think about it, sit with yourself, but validate it and let yourself know that it has worth and you absolutely can raise it. And you can do it in a way that is as is productive. Great. Thank you so much. We all have our homework assignments. Um, and thanks again, Louisa, for all this fabulous information and perspective. You're so welcome. Thank you. I love talking about it. Thank you so much. And thank all of you for listening to this episode of Tip of the Iceberg. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode and stay current on trends and news from the fresh produce industry. Thank you so much to the Equitable Food Initiative for this engaging conversation. This has been Christina Herrick for Tip of the Iceberg Podcast. Thank you for listening and join us again soon.